Hello, welcome to the Basketball Soapbox. I'm your host, Daniel Daly. Thank you for joining me. Uh, this is episode three of season three. Um, we're getting into, what, the third week of the NBA season so far? A bunch of stuff going on, but uh, let's get into it. Uh, we have I'm going to be talking about James Harden, Victor Wimbenyama, and the NBA in-season tournament, and more. A couple teams I want to talk about there at the end. Uh, but first, let's get into James Harden now being a Los Angeles Clipper. He was traded there with P.J. Tucker um, for Marcus Morris, Nick Batum, um, Robert Covington, K.J. Martin from the Clippers. So James Harden is now a Clipper. And let's talk about things from the Philly side. Um, James Harden in his press conference basically said that he felt like he was in chains there not in terms of slavery, but kind of locked into a system where I think he was kind of alluding to in his comments that he was more of a, well, basically he said that he was a creator, more of a distributor, uh, more putting input into the offensive scheme that is being ran. Um, basically, he wanted to be able to go to the coach and say, hey, I'm seeing this, I'm seeing this, let's make an adjustment here and here. Kind of what he was doing in Phoenix, kind of what he was doing in Brooklyn, kind of freelancing a little bit more. Um, but looking at that, that looks like it's going to be a shot at Doc Rivers, right? Who he obviously butted heads, obviously him and Doc Rivers didn't get along. But looking at that relationship, looking at that dynamic, and especially with the Philly, Philadelphia roster with Joel Embiid, you're going to be locked in the system. You're not going to really be able to freelance here. And I think that's what Doc Rivers was saying over even in the, I believe, when he got the job first he was sitting there saying to James Harden, we're going to be unstoppable in the pick and roll and you're going to run this two man game and no one's going to be able to stop it. And for the most part, over the course of those two seasons with uh, Joel and B that was the verdict, right? Like when they ran that two man game, it was pretty much unstoppable. Obviously they ran that to a T um, James Harden, who I said last year, his whole job was to get, Joel and be the MVP and kudos to him. He did that. He played his part in that role, but obviously you can see that, that it was begrudgingly that he was doing that begrudgingly. He was running this two man game playing in this system where Joel and B plays in the high post mid range nail area and taking away the spacing from James Harden at certain times. But James Harden, I just, I just feel like James Harden wanted to be have more of an offense in terms of what he did in Phoenix. I mean, not in Phoenix, I mean in Houston. And when you look at that, when he had Dwight Howard, he butted head with Dwight Howard. Dwight Howard was out of there. He had Clint Capella, who was more of a rim runner, a uh, 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 pick and roll type of guy, not looking for paint touches, not looking for post touches, really. And it kind of seems like that's what he wanted in Philadelphia. Uh, playing next to Joel Embiid, but it's just like you weren't going to get that. And at that stage of his career, at this stage of his career, even the past two years, James Harden wasn't the guy that he was in Houston. Everyone talks about the burst and his his first step in the pick and roll game and the pop and that and his ability to dance. He's still able to do it, but not on a consistent basis where he's going to be a number one every night. And I think that was clear in Philadelphia to everybody, but James Harden apparently. Um, and that, and that's just a, a a style of play thing, right? Like James Harden really wants to be able to freelance, be able to 
have the ball in his hands, which ironically, which Joel Embiid said he was confused about his comments. And Joel Embiid, I thought he had did the professional thing, did the right thing, um, applauding James Harden during his time in Philadelphia, saying that he led the league in assist. He did everything that he wanted to do. But in terms of the offensive system, Joel said, hey, we gave him the ball every time and he was able to make plays. So from that standpoint, it just seems like a style clash that James Harden wants to play there, like when you think about when he was in Houston. And to come to that, and I understand that, some things just don't work out in that sense, right? Like it's very hard for a player to play a different play style, play a different way, play off ball and stuff and things of that nature. And that's unfortunate, right, for Philadelphia, right? Because obviously Darren Moore and those guys wanted it to work at some point. Um, but Romero Shelbourne basically said – James Harden didn't feel like the organization wanted him. He said that in his press conference as well, that they didn't want him. And I think there was hesitance on both sides in terms of what Philadelphia was going to offer James Harden, right? Like coming off those playoff blunders that he's had again the past two years in Philly, I would be hesitant to pay James Harden a max deal that he was looking for, right? Like, I would be hesitant to sit there and be like, hey, you're our guy. We're going to run things and we're just going to work things out. Here's this money. I don't see it like that. And if Daryl Morey promised James Harden to sign him and then didn't, that's one thing. Now, if James Harden, I believe Ramona Shelburne said in her uh, article that um, James Harden wanted to sign with Philly. And Philadelphia said, hey, we'll offer you a contract when we're allowed to, right? Not discussing any details or anything like that. And I think there was along the lines of saying that they didn't want to get involved in tampering. James Harden didn't trust that. He said, hey, this should have been done. We should already know what we're doing. And that's when James Harden opted in and said, hey, I would rather be traded. Because now there's something there where you guys were supposed to offer me this money and you didn't. So I want to be traded. After opting in, I believe they said, hey, we'll work on trying to get you a trade. And it just didn't happen. And there was not a lot of communication between James Harden and Daryl Morey, which led to the sour relationship and continuing and just couldn't be uh, repaired at that point in time. Um, and Stephen A. Smith was even adamant, even on first take, saying, hey, something happened here where James Harden just didn't trust Daryl Morey anymore. And it sounded like it was on the turn, the lines of money. Like that was what it was about. You promised him to repay that money, basically, that he turned down, took less money to help the team grow with P.J. Tucker, Daniel House, and some things of that nature. Um, James Harden said that, hey, you guys don't talk about me turning down $26 million, basically adjusting my role and sacrificing you guys only talk about the money situation how i'm looking how i leave every situation and stuff like that and to that point he does have a point right like he did sacrifice 26 million dollars to bring in guys that can alleviate things around him pj tucker daniel house shooters guys that he played with in houston but there's still a 26 million dollar hole in his pocket apparently and when you look at it from that standpoint if Daryl Morey did say that, if Daryl Morey did incline say, hey, we're going to take care of you, and then in terms and turned around and then didn't, that looks bad on his on his end. And 
doesn't is not going to sit well with James Harden. Now, to counter that from my perspective, from where I'm sitting as a, a person on the outside looking in, they could have promised you something and your performance dipped. And they saw the same old James Harden that we saw in Houston and that we've seen in Philadelphia last year, the past two years, where you have failed to hold up your end of the deal. And that's not saying that James Harden hasn't had big playoff performances or anything like that. But in those times and those games when they needed him, he's coming up short. And that has been the story of James Harden in the playoffs every stop. Maybe not so much Brooklyn. It was more so injury. But in terms of what you were supposed to produce, that wasn't worth the max contract to Philadelphia. And I don't think they should have done it either. Um, looking at it from that standpoint, James Harden was finally traded. It took a little while. Um, got to November, got to late October, November. So James Harden is finally out of Philadelphia. From Philadelphia standpoint, that ends that side of things. Now let's talk about the Clippers. And when you think about it from the Clippers situation, the Clippers are obviously in a situation where they are desperate. They want to put together a winning team optimize this team um, and what better way to do that than a guy that can get you 20 and 10 every night being able to be a facilitator being able to be a catch and shoot guy um, being able to orchestrate and that's something that the Clippers have been missing for a while now a uh, playmaking point guard ironically Chris Paul SGA guys like that um, they shipped out um, and now they have James Harden now, from the situation of James Harden playing next to Russell Westbrook, they did it in OKC, they did it in Houston, and now they're doing it with L.A. And, of course, that dynamic has had mixed results, right? Of course, they've gotten to the playoffs, they produce big numbers, but we've seen it fall flat. And that puts Westbrook, as everyone's saying, that puts Westbrook in a different situation because he's been playing so well for the Clippers. It's weird that the Clippers will turn around and – now put James Harden, who needs the ball in his hands, needs to create, obviously needs to facilitate. And now that puts Russ in a bad spot. Understand that. Understand that. They're going to try to figure out a way to make it work. That's the whole point of this. Um, I also think this is insurance policy in case Paul George, in case Russell Westbrook, <laughs> in case Kawhi Leonard, any of those guys have injuries over the season. And to question that is just like James Harden has missed some games these past couple of seasons has been wearing down a little bit, not as explosive. Um, understand it from that standpoint as well. But in terms of how this is going to work with the Clippers, this gives them a little boost of a chance, right? Like they, they have a facilitator, something that they were missing for a long time. There's going to be a hole there on defense, especially when you give up Nick Batum, Robert Covington, a young guy like KJ Martin, Marcus Morris, those guys that were there that played well for the Clippers. Now that you trade those guys and you bring in James Harden, obviously James Harden's star power is more important than those other guys, right? Like in terms of what he brings to the table to unlock that offense consistently is what they're hoping for. Um, now you're just hoping how that pans out, that the offense flows, everything goes correctly. 
with James Harden at the helm, controlling, making moves easy for everybody. I don't think Kawhi Leonard is going to be affected too much. He's going to get his shots, obviously. Paul George is going to, I think, be that hybrid guy where he's going to be able to play between James Harden and Kawhi Leonard. I think that's going to be a big help. But the odd man out, it seems like it's Russell Westbrook. I don't know how that's going to work. Um, Lineup-wise, I don't know if they're trying to make it like he plays a certain amount of minutes on the starters and vice versa, who goes to the bench. I don't see James Harden going to the bench. I don't know if they're going to put Russell Westbrook on the bench. Obviously, they're going to try to trot it out and see how that works going forward. But, again, obviously, James Harden is going to bring something to the table in terms of spacing the floor, facilitating passing. I'm not going to dwell on the bad things too much. The only question I have is James Harden going to be able to adjust where he doesn't have the ball in his hands all the time? Because one, Kawhi's going to need the ball in his hands. Paul George is going to need the ball in his hands. And when you're playing on the court with Russell Westbrook, he's going to need the ball in his hands to be his most effective. Um, so that's the thing that's going to be a question mark, right? Like we've seen you not really willing, really willing to adjust full term commitment wise, mental wise to a system and say, hey, I'm going to stick to this no matter what. It's always been a little bit about a little selfishness there, which is okay. But in terms of James Harden wanting to be the main guy facilitating, creating the place, orchestrating everything, have everything on his shoulders in terms of creating. And we've seen you fall flat with that. Now, luckily, you have two other guys that you can depend on. But what's going to happen when Paul George sits there and goes, hey, man, what are you doing? Or Kawhi Leonard sits there and goes, hey, man, what are you doing? All these little things are adding up where it's like you're going to be put in the same situation and now you have more guys to feed the ball to, two all-star guys. How is that going to fare when you don't get your touches, when you don't get the freelance of the offense? Now, the only saving grace for this, which I think people haven't talked about, is Tyron Luke, um, a guy that has been able to deal with multiple superstars, been able to deal with different lineups on the fly, been able to come up with most adjustments in playoff games continuously. So looking at it from that standpoint, it's going to be interesting to see how James Harden and Tyron Lue gets a, get, a, get, a, get along because Tyron Lue is not going to put up with that crap <laughs> that James Harden was doing in Houston that he was trying to do in Philly, it looks like, and neither was Doc Rivers. But just in general, I don't think Tyron was going to put up with that. But I think they're going to obviously try to collaborate, collaborate and put the best foot forward to making this work. And – where their pecking order is in the Western Conference, I'm going to say they're about the same. I'm not saying that they're not going to be a better team, like this wasn't a positive move. But in terms of the Western Conference landscape, I don't see them being better than better than the Nuggets. And that's the standpoint where a lot of Western teams are. I just don't think they're better than the Nuggets, which is okay. But can does this give them a better chance? I guess slightly because of the talent, star power, whatever the case may be you want to say there. But we have to see it, right? Like, this is what it is for the Clippers. We have to wait and see how this works. And I think that's the biggest thing for James Harden. And hopefully he can make his debut, I believe, on Monday. I believe they played the Knicks. Hopefully he can make this work and hopefully not be his last stop in his career, right? Because obviously we're looking around and it's like, this is probably going to be his last stop if it doesn't work out here. Because I don't think too many NBA teams are going to continue to try to 
pay him the money that he's looking for and continue to deal with these problems every season. So we'll see how that pans out. Now we're going to be talking about Victor Wembenyama's hot start to his NBA career. Um, 20 points per game, eight rebounds, 2.2 blocks, 1.4 steals per game. And this guy is just dynamic as hell. Um, We've seen it over the first couple games where he was kind of slow getting into the game. Um, But these last two games against the Suns on October 31st, and when you look at the fourth quarter per se, where he scored 18 in this game, in the fourth quarter he had nine points and two blocks. And I think that's the thing where – He's getting adjusted, obviously, but the thing that I noticed what Coach Pop is doing with him is that he is playing him in the fourth quarter and playing him high amount of minutes, trusting him, putting him in situations to score, and Victor Wembanyama is paying dividends right now for the San Antonio Spurs early on, um, playing really well, being able to shoot the ball, handoff, dribble, attacking the basket as well, even with a skinny frame, has had double-digit rebound games. So you're seeing the versatility of this guy at 7-5 and seeing how dynamic he is, seeing how impactful he is at this young age, given this responsibility, and he's taking it. And I think that's the, one of the things that we have to look at and just say, wow, and really look at him being a one – of one player, kind of like what Kevin Durant said after their games, saying that he's going to create his own lane. He's going to be his own guy. You can make comparisons, yeah, because he's skinny and stuff like that. But ultimately, this guy is going to be different, and we know it. (laughs) When NBA players around the league are saying that, when a guy like Kevin Durant is saying, this guy's different, this guy's different. We got to understand what this guy is doing. Um, I think it was the fewest games to – uh, score 38. He scored 38 on November 2nd against the, uh, the Senate, uh, the, uh, sorry, the Phoenix Suns there. And I believe he was the fewest games played to get to 38 scored, uh, in five games. He got 38 points. That was the fastest anyone has gotten to it. I believe, I believe LeBron James was at 44 points per game. Uh, for, he had 44 games in the season before he scored 38 and things of that nature. And it's just like, wow, this is, this is this guy's different in terms of what he's bringing at the center position, the ability to spread the floor, the ability to create off the dribble, finish inside, be tough, um, his length on the defensive end, blocking shots. And and you saw that no other than the second game that he played against the Phoenix Sims where he scored 38, 38 and 10 rebounds. Um, he had 20 in the first half, and then Devin Vessel went down. So that meant he became the number one option and scored 18 in the second half and outscored Durant, who had 28 in the game, Devin Booker, who had 31 in the game. So when you look at it from that standpoint, he's showing that he's ready for that moment, even early on in the season. And to show flashes like this, to show consistency like this, it's going to get interesting once he gets stronger, once he gets more touches, once he gets more comfortable, once he continues to adapt. Um, this is scary. <laughs> Victor Wimbenyam is the real deal, and he's going to be. Um, now let's talk about the NBA in-season tournament, which has been 
conflicting with NBA fans. A lot of people complaining about it. A lot of people not liking it. Like, what is this? Why do we need this in the regular season? They're just trying to create participation trophies. This isn't needed. This is dumb. This is stupid. Why are we doing this? Oh, they're regular season games. <laughs> oh, these games have kind of been good. Oh, these courts are kind of cool, even though some people don't like them. They're kind of different and childish and people not liking the course and stuff like that. These jerseys suck, all this other stuff. And at the end of the day, do you like basketball is what I'm going to say about that. The NBA in season tournament. Do you like basketball? Because at the end of the day, that's all this is. And then you turn around and the games are actually good. I need everybody to stop complaining and just enjoy the show. <laughs> that's what you need to do. Instead of sitting here trying to complain every two seconds, enjoy the show, enjoy the games. That's what it's about, ultimately. I'm not going to sit here and explain the rules. Y'all can look that up. I'm not going to sit there and explain the seating and how the, the pools work or the, the teams and all that stuff, whatever. But enjoy the game. Enjoy the basketball. That's all I ask when you're watching the NBA in-season tournament. That's all I ask for. Screw all the other crap. The games are good, and I'll get into that. Um, the first one that I saw that I was watching there was the Pacers defeating the Cleveland Cavaliers, 121 to 116. And looking at that game, Indiana was up big. They were up big at, uh, before halftime, I believe 70-53. And it was just like, I don't I almost turned off the game because I'm like, I'm not even sure Cleveland has figured out this Max Struess, this Jared Allen thing, this Evan Mobley thing, how they're trying to work their lineups. And it just looked like they were dead in the water. And to sit there and turn around and actually make it a game and actually come back and take the lead was impressive from Cleveland and good for them to show some type of fight. Um, but this was Miles Turner's game, um, 27 points, nine rebounds. Tyrese Halliburton had 18 and 13, um, 18 points, 13 assists. So looking at Indiana and how Tyrese Halliburton makes that team go, they lost today to the Hornets, but he had a big game again. But talking about this in-season tournament game against Cleveland, you're seeing the impact of Tyrus Halliburton and his ability to create, make things easier for his teammates, especially a guy like Miles Turner. Um, so to see that happen and see a good game of basketball where Cleveland was actually able to come back and make it a game was fun to watch. Um, uh, Donovan Mitchell, who I have on my fantasy team, <laughs> was balling, had 38 points, nine assists. And you're looking at Donovan Mitchell continue to score, right, and just be a scoring machine and put all these points up. Um, he just needs to figure out how to get Evan Mobley going because I think that's the one thing that Cleveland has been trying to figure out, how to get this guy going. He had 14 and 10 rebounds, um, four blocks and three steals. But you're just trying to get that consistency out of him. Everybody's clamoring. But I think people are trying to rush this where they know Evan Mobley's the answer. They know he's the one guy that can make this Cleveland team to – Playoff team to contender contention. So I think that's what everybody's looking at, Evan Mobley. He's already good on the defensive end. Um, but it's going to be interesting because <laughs> he did get blocked by Chet Holmgren earlier in the season. Um, he got blocked at a, on a late game dunk. And then this game where I believe they needed that to tie the game, he had a dunk, that, a dunk attempt that he went up for, and Miles Turner blocked him. So that's going to come with size and strength and – him getting better as a player. So hopefully he can develop in time to convince Donovan Mitchell to stay there because I think that's the one looming, looming thing 
over the Cleveland Cavaliers right now. They're wondering how they're going to be able to keep Donovan Mitchell there, and we'll see how that plays out. But um, big win for Indiana. Um, we'll see if Cleveland can continue to develop and figure out these lineups. Um, but the in-season tournament, I like the blue core with the yellow dash. It looked bad in pictures, but when you watch it on TV, it wasn't that bad. And everyone complaining about this. It's like at least these these guys are professionals and they're scoring 100 plus points. <laughs> they're not stepping out of bounds as much. So it's fine. All right. Um, let's get into the Bucks and Knicks. Um, Bucks defeat the Knicks 110 to 105. And looking at the Knicks, I'm not even going to talk about the Bucks because obviously I feel like Giannis is just trying to get Dame Lillard. Um, antiquated to their offense and try to figure out because they know Dame needs to play and figure out how to unlock that offense uh, playing next to all those guys like Brooke Lopez and Chris Middleton and Giannis as well. So that's all that is. But from the Knicks side, I'm just going to go to Julius Randle. Julius Randle is talented. He's been all NBA performer. He's a tough player. And when he's good, he's good. But more often than not, especially for the New York Knicks, he has been bad. And I'm not saying that's 50, 50 percent or whatever the case may be, or 40 or 60. When he looks bad, he looks bad. And to start the season, I don't believe he shot over 50 percent in any game. He has looked terrible and no game did he look terrible than this one. Shooting five from 20 from the floor, um, multiple four shots against the Bucks defense. Um not getting back on defense was just a glaring play when uh, Jalen Brunson missed the late game jumper and he didn't get back on defense. He's shrugging, he's pouting, he's walking back and the Bucks get an easy layup to push the lead. I believe the three at that point. So the Knicks fans, how do you guys deal with Julius Randle? Because more often than not, he derails your offense. He derails what y'all are doing, especially when he's not willing to accept that he's not that guy. Yes, you were paid those max dollars because the Knicks needed somebody at that point in time. But obviously, Jalen Brunson is that guy for the New York Knicks right now. And for him to not play his role as a secondary option, um, using his playmaking skills that he does have, being attacking on the glass, that's what they need him to do, attacking the basket. And when is he going to realize that he's not that guy? Because he's hurting his team and not just hurting them, hurting them with inefficient play, bonehead play, and just not playing winning basketball for the New York Knicks. And this is not just this instance. This has been the past couple playoffs. This has been the past couple seasons where the fans are contentious against him. And even watching this, I'm just like, I'm contentious against it. <laughs> because he's just playing not good basketball. I don't think he is playing good basketball. He's getting in his own head. I don't know what it is. He feels like he needs to be the guy. Maybe he's just working through those early season struggles, but it's getting bad. And I think the New York Knicks are running thin on him. I think with that trade, I mean, with that contract, it was really difficult to trade. And has become, especially with his erratic play, that has made it even more difficult to trade. But how long are they going to continue to deal with Julius Randle in inefficient play? And you think the glaring thing would have been Carl Anthony Towns, right? Like he would be the person to open up this offense a little bit. Um, 
with spreading the floor, being a little bit more efficient as a shooter. But right now, I just don't see anyone trading for Julius Randle with his inefficient play and just up and down style. It's just not helping the Knicks. And I think the Knicks are in trouble with that, especially with R.J. Barrett missing games and stuff like that. Um, If they're not able to figure out that Julius Randle situation, they're going to be stuck. They're going to be stuck. Uh, Let's move on to the Warriors. Let's move on to the Warriors defeating the Oklahoma City Thunder. 141 to 139. Um, Steph Curry getting a late uh, late game layup. Um, almost called goaltending from Draymond Green touching the rim, but I can't remember. I believe it was Josh Giddy grabbed the net, and that upheld the game winner for Steph Curry. Um, and the one thing I wanted to talk about on the Warriors side is just the balance they seem to have in terms of scoring. And Chris Paul fitting the secondary role, as you see at the bottom of the screen there. Uh, Steph Curry had 30 points. Chris Paul had one point and 13 assists. Kaminga and Dario Saric combined for 39. And that's the glaring point to me, those last guys there. Of course, Clay Thompson scored in double figures, I believe. Clay, uh, Draymond Green had 15 as well. But Jonathan Kaminga and Dario Saric, for the Golden State Warriors, that is a plus. Um, and I said that with the Golden State the Warriors that Chris Paul's job was to get Jonathan Kaminga, Moses Moody, and these secondary players a little bit more acclimated, a little bit more comfortable to scoring and getting them easier shots, getting them in their spots to score and get easier baskets. Um, not make so thing, not make everything so much difficult. And I think that's what Chris, this what game embodies that for Chris Paul, right? Like he's getting those other guys involved. Obviously, a couple starters as well. But getting Jonathan Kaminga easier shots, getting Dario Saric easier shots, I feel like that is his job this season to bring those young guys, build that confidence for them. So when they, if they do get called to play with the starters, that they're more comfortable in those lineups, more acclimated to Chris Paul, the starting lineup, being in certain roles, and I feel like that's good for the Golden State Warriors moving forward. I believe they're four and one now. Um, moving on to Oklahoma City side of things, where um, Steve Kerr said about this team is that they're on their way. They're coming up. Obviously, last season, I think people were looking at them. I thought they were going to make the playoffs. Um, but now the target's on the bat. People know who the Oklahoma City Thunder are and look no more further than this game. Even without SGA, the ability to battle the Warriors was impressive. Um, Lou Dort came out guns blazing, 29 points. Josh Giddy with 18 points. Uh, Jalen Williams, Jalen Williams with the L. He had a good interview with J.J. Riddick. Check that out. Um, but he had 18 and 8 and checked Holmgren on nine shots, had 24 points, eight rebounds, and five assists. And where we talk about Wimby, we got to talk about Chet Holmgren as well because he's playing well alongside this young core of this Oklahoma City group. And I believe he's averaging 17 and 7 on the season. Um, with a couple blocks per game. So he's kind of replicating what Wimby is doing, just not getting that buzz. But I think people need to acknowledge him as well because he's playing really well um, for the Thunder team. And for Oklahoma City to continue these building blocks, continue this progress, getting in these type of games, um, you think they would come out on the other side, of maybe if they had SGA. But putting all this together with this young core, um, great coach so far on there. 
Yeah, he's a great coach there with uh, Mike Young. Uh, I can't remember his name. I always mess up his name. But, yeah, the OKC coach there, he's doing great things there, especially getting this young core confident, putting them in the right spots. And they're always there in these games. And it's just like it's only a matter of time before these guys continue to mature, and that puts them over the top. Um, let's get into the Denver Nuggets being the Dallas Mavericks, 125 to 114. Um, international battle between Nikola Jokic and Luka Doncic, two guys that are that dynamic. Um, even though highly entertaining game, Denver were, really wasn't in trouble in this game. Um, Joker nearly a triple-double with 33 points, 14 rebounds, and nine assists. And again, just showing why he's the best player in the world, putting everything together. I believe um, Jamal Murray had 11 assists, and I want to say – was it Kevin Porter Jr. had five or seven assists? So the Denver Nuggets are just basically moving the ball and playing really well, like a well-ordered machine. Um, Luka Doncic, entertaining as always, putting up these shots that just don't make any sense, and I'm going to get to him in a little bit later. But highly entertaining game um, there for the Denver Nuggets and Dallas Mavericks. Um, other NBA in-season tournament games – were the Nets defeating the Bulls, 109 to 107. Bulls, you got to figure that out. I believe they beat the Nuggets tonight. Um, the Heat defeated the Wizards, 121 to 114. Um, and the Blazers defeated the Memphis Grizzlies, who I want to get into my quick hits. Uh, quick hits here, uh, edition of the podcast, section of the podcast here. And the Memphis Grizzlies starting out 0-5, I had high hopes for the Memphis Grizzlies. I didn't think they were going to be this bad in terms of uh, wins. I thought they would have been able to stay afloat, but they're starting off the season really bad 0-5 here. Um, Desmond Bain has been coming out guns blazing, shooting the ball like he was before he got injured last season. I believe at one point last season averaging 25 points per game. Here he's averaging 26 points per game. I believe he has four assists, three. Uh, he has four rebounds, three assists per game as well to go along with that. But he's really trying to handle the offensive load for this team, and it's been difficult. Uh, Jaron Jackson Jr. 20 point, 20 point seven points per game, seven point seven rebounds per game, and two point five blocks. And I'm a little disappointed in him because I figured he would have figured out that fouling situation. In the first couple of games of the season, he got into trouble. Last night against Portland, he had 30 and 13. But the way that they're losing, especially against Portland the other night, blowing a 10-point lead with two minutes to go is <laughs> – that's bad, man. They were up on Portland. Portland doesn't have any incentive to win or anything like that. So to see that happen to Memphis and them struggling – while expected because they're missing so many guys, and I'll get to that in the point in a minute, but I'm expecting better play, especially after Jaron Jackson Jr. And while he's playing decent, I'm expecting a little bit more out of him. I have been expecting a little bit more out of him the past couple of seasons, um, wanting him to, to win most improved player the past couple of years. But it's just like it's not helping right now. It's not helping. Um, but looking at Memphis side of things, they're playing without John Moran, who has a suspension for 25 games. Um, so he has 20 more to go. <laughs> um, Steven Adams, who, of course, before the season had a torn ACL, so they really have no front line, especially with Brandon Clark, who had an Achilles injury towards Achilles since last March, and there's really no timetable on when he's going to return. And then uh, Santi Aldama for them is out with an ankle injury. Derek Rose is out with a knee injury. 
So they initially have no front line besides Xavier Tillman. And that's something where I questioned in my last week's episode is if they can trade for Robert Williams because desperately they need a big man. They need somebody that can attack the glass, um, protect the rim, do a couple little things. He's a little bit better offensively than I think people give him credit for in terms of playmaking IQ. Not shooting the ball or anything like that, not a high offensive score or anything like that. But in terms of being a, a type of playmaker from that position, that will give Memphis a different look. But most importantly, a guy that's going to protect the rim, rebound, block shots, things of that nature that I think Memphis right now needs, especially on that front line. And then missing all these bodies starting 0 and 5, um, they definitely need some help. Definitely need some help. All right, let's get to let's get to the home team, um, the Boston Celtics, starting off five and zero to start their season. Uh, just beat the uh, the Brooklyn Nets today. Um, I believe it was one twenty one. Uh, let me check the score here. Sorry, one second. Uh, yes, the score there was one twenty four to one fourteen. Um, Jason Tatum with thirty two and eleven points cracking 10,000 points for his career, um, the youngest Celtics player to do that. Um, but on the season so far, he's averaging 30.2 points per game in nearly 10 rebounds a game and really picking up from last season so far to start the season off, um, really being that scoring machine that we know he can be attacking the glass, doing it on both ends of the court and really looking good for the Boston Celtics. Um, the starting five with Jalen Brown as well, Jason Tatum, Christoph Porzingis, Derek White, and Drew Holiday has been fantastic so far to start the season. And they have really been clicking on all cylinders. Um, Jalen Brown there with 22.6 points per game and six rebounds. Christoph Porzingis with 19.4 points per game, seven rebounds and nearly two blocks. Derek White, um, who missed today's game, but will be back birth of his child. So congratulations on that. Um, 15 points per game, four rebounds and four assists a game. Drew Holiday, 14 points per game seven rebounds and five assists per game for those guys. And to just talk about Drew Holiday and Derek White, I believe they're both – they they both get a block a game. I think Drew Holiday's nearly at two blocks a game. <laughs> um, Derek White as well has a steal per game. So these guys are able to lock down the backcourt, which is, which is paying huge dividends for the Boston Celtics. Um, I think they just need to figure out that end of the side of things, even though they, I believe they're leading the league in rebounding as well with 51 a game. But – when you're looking at the Boston Celtics, it's just like, can they continue to create easy opportunities in terms of transition, creating those turnovers? I think that's the one thing that they need to figure out how to do. Obviously, the bench as well. They're getting some patchwork there from Banton, um, Luke Cornett, Sam Hauser, Peyton Pritchard, Al Horford. They're getting patchwork from those guys, but they just need to figure out which guy is going to be consistent. Those are the two things for me looking at the Boston Celtics so far. Looks like they have a, they figured out how to gang rebound on the glass. Even Drew Holiday is grabbing rebounds off the glass and stuff like that. So from that standpoint, it seems like that rebounding is just going to be a gang mentality, attacking the basket, um, attacking the glass on that end. But looking at the Celtics bench, it's like who's going to be consistent? Who's going to be consistent coming off that bench? And I think that's the one thing that they're going to have to figure out at some point. That's the one thing. But other than that, the Boston Celtics clicking on all cylinders. I believe they have a good test against the Minnesota Timberwolves. 
which I believe is Tuesday, Monday. Yes, is this Monday um, on the road going up against the Minnesota Timberwolves. I think that's their real first test of the season as Minnesota has been playing pretty well as well, um, winning tonight as well. Um, but, yeah, that's the first big test for the Boston Celtics. Now, looking at another surprise team so far, um, the Dallas Mavericks, who I was questioning before the season, could they make the playoffs? How is this going to hold up? Can their defense hold up? And it's really just been Luka Doncic playing at a crazy level, obviously getting some help from Kyrie Irving and Tim Hardaway Jr. and another player who I'll talk about in a moment. But Luka Doncic so far on the season, 33.8 points per game, 10.4 rebounds, 9.4 assists, already has two triple-doubles to his credit, um, has just been marvelous, has been kicking ass. Um, in five games this season, he has scored 33 points, 49 points, 35 points, 18 points against Chicago, and in the Denver loss, scored 34. Um, but you're seeing how dynamic Luka is coming off that uh, – Coming off the past couple of seasons, he just continued to be a stat sheet stuffer, uh, producing a producing machine, just a production machine in terms of what this team needs and doing it in all facets, um, scoring the basketball, making crazy shots. He's continuing his stellar play. And you're just wondering if Dallas can continue to sustain this throughout the season because they really haven't had any uh, – roadblocks and looking at it is just like how long can Luca keep this up because he's playing well and I do believe he's getting some help about a, from a player that I'll talk about in a minute um but you're trying to figure out how he works with Kyrie Irving and how that dynamic works but as long as he's playing this well Dallas Mavericks will win games and that's going to be tough in this Western Conference because you're looking at this conference going Who's in, who's out? And I thought they were going to be out at the beginning of the season. Obviously, it's only five games of the season. Anything can happen. But if he continues to play this level continuously, if he continues to do this, then the Dallas Mavericks, again, are going to be in the playoffs. <laughs> so I might be wrong about that, but we'll see. Um, a player that I want to talk about, though, for them is a guy they acquired in the offseason, and that is Grant Williams, um, averaging 15 points per game so far, shooting 51% from the field and 53% from three-point range. Um, he is paying huge dividends, and I thought that was going to be a nice fit there with Luka Doncic out there in Dallas because I feel like he does all the little things that are needed for a team, and we saw that in Boston as well. Um, but I feel like his role, even in the J.J. Riddick interview that he had, that he said he wanted a bigger role offensively. And it seems like he's getting those touches a lot because Luke is always just going to draw the attention of the defense. So to see Grant Williams continue just to knock down shots and be that versatile defender for Dallas now in a little bigger role, you're seeing that pay dividends. And next to Luka Doncic, next to Kyrie Irving, um, he's playing dividends for this team so far, and especially with his efficient shooting, his efficient scoring. Um, we'll see if he's able to keep that up. Hopefully no shenanigans or anything like that happen or injuries or anything like that. But he's playing – he's paying real dividends for this team right now, and I think that's a big part of why, obviously, Luka. But that's obviously a big part of why they're 4-1 so far to start the season with Grant Williams. I believe he's playing well, and I really like what he's doing down there, spreading the floor for them. Um, and we'll see how it continues for the Dallas Mavericks. Um, but that's all I want to talk about, just recapping the week so far. 
Um, looking around the league, the Lakers lost <laughs> to the Orlando Magic. Um, the New Orleans Pelicans are taking off, I believe. They're 4-2. and two. They lost to Atlanta last, uh, today. Um, so Atlanta looking really good as well. A lot of things going around the league here. Um, Philadelphia, obviously. Um, <laughs> Sands, James Harden, uh, um, Tyrese Maxey, Kelly Oubre, uh, and Joel Embiid are playing real well for Philadelphia as well. Um, seeing what they're able to do without James Harden, Sands, James Harden, Tyrese Maxey's really stepping up and scoring the ball. I believe he's up in all numbers. Uh, rebounds per game, assists, points, efficiency. Um, really showing why Philadelphia don't play no games. Just pay this man when the time comes. <laughs> um, so definitely looking at it from that standpoint, uh, LaMelo Ball played really well against Tyrese Halliburton. That was a duel. Um, check out the highlights of that. Uh, LaMelo Ball really stopping Tyrese at the end of the game, getting a steal, late game steal, and securing that game for the Charlotte Hornets. Him and Mark Williams have a nice two-man game as well. Mark Williams is really stepping up and playing well for them as well. Um. Yeah, that's pretty much it. Uh, just a couple notes around the lead that I was looking at. Um, but impressive play so far to start the season. Um, it's going to continue um, this weekend. I'll see how my fantasy team does. Um, but, of course, always check out Ring Takes as well on this channel as well. Don't forget to like, comment, and subscribe. And thank you for all the support that has been generated so far um, the past couple weeks on this channel. Thank you so much for that. Um, but that will do it for this episode of the basketball soapbox. Thank you for joining me. Until next time.